it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too it's a thing and now the truth is out there i can tell you about my favorite place to have fun chumba casino they have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week you can play for free anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses so join me in the fun sign up now at chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus On February 9th of 2004, 21-year-old UMass student Maura Murray drove from her dorm in Amherst, Massachusetts to the White Mountains of New Hampshire. At approximately 7.27 p.m., Maura spun out her 1996 Saturn on a hairpin turn on Route 112 in North Haverhill. There has never been a credible sighting of Maura since. Maura is 5 foot 7 inches tall. She weighs 120 pounds, and she has brown hair and hazel eyes. If you have any information regarding Mora's disappearance, please submit it to us, the Murray family at Direct at gmail.com, or the New Hampshire State Police Cold Case Unit. This is Missing Mora Murray. Welcome back to Missing Maura Murray. I'm Tim here today with Lance in the Crawl Space Studios in Wormtown. Lance, how are you today? I'm doing pretty well. How are you today, Tim? I'm doing all right, Lance. And as you well know, the 16-year anniversary of Maura's disappearance is coming up this Sunday on February 9th, 2020. And uh, for this episode, we have Julie Murray, Maura's sister, on to discuss all things Mora's case. And, uh, of course, uh, if you haven't heard Julie on True Crime Garage recently, check that out. The uh, two episodes came out last week, so that's a good primer, um, a good uh, case discussion with Julie Murray. Yep. Uh, unfortunately, Tim, this has become a tradition where we talk to Julie every year around this time, around the anniversary of Mora's disappearance, and we're at the 16-year mark. And I remember starting this, you know, we were we were looking at it and saying, like, wow, I can't believe it's 11 years. I can't believe it's 12 years. Well, I can't believe it's been 16 years. And some of the stuff that we discussed with Julie, I would have never guessed that we'd be discussing it at this point. So it makes for a very interesting listen. But keep in mind that this whole venture that we're going on is about finding out what happened to a young woman who went missing in New Hampshire. And there's a lot of distractions along the way, and we're just trying to plug through. And I think listening to Julie's words, you'll understand that she and her family are also trying to push through all this. She she even said that uh, during this interview when we asked how the family was doing, and she said they're just plugging along. They're just trying to get by. And that is something that I think... Uh, should be taken a little bit more into consideration the uh you know the mental well-being of the family and and how they're just trying to figure things out as they go i agree i think it's easy to forget how hard of a situation uh it is to be put in 
um, for them, you know, and, and they are just trying their best and, you know, they, they're, they don't know what to do. So exactly. And we're not, not guilty of it, uh, either. You know, there are times when we maybe let emotions get the better of us and, and we start to lose track a little bit, but we do our best to get back on track. And I, I hope that is, uh, apparent, uh, you know, when we, when we do the, when we make those efforts. I hope so, too. And uh, Lance, so for the 16th anniversary, um, like we've done over the past few years, we're going to do a, a, a candle lighting uh, social media push. So we're, we're going to light up the world on uh, on February 9th. So take a picture of yourself, of a candle, uh, tweet it out, tag us, um, send it on Instagram, on, uh, on Facebook, and hashtag findmora. And tag us, tag the official pages, tag the family pages. And I think that'd be a nice tribute for Mora. And for those of you who don't know, Julie Murray started a GoFundMe for Mora. It is GoFundMe.com slash Mora Murray Missing. Or you could go to GoFundMe.com and just search Mora Murray. And you'll see the uh, Julie Murray campaign effort. It's raised quite a bit of money at this point. They had to up their goal. This money is to be used for testing, for future searches, to acquire any forensic evidence, uh, basically anything that is coming from independent searches or anything that maybe uh, private investigators or law enforcement needs a little assistance with. So go to GoFundMe, search more Murray, and the campaign is the one that Julie Murray has started. And uh, yeah, make sure you give there and uh, you know, you'll know that your money is going for a good cause. Okay, everybody, thank you very much for listening, as always, and we hope you enjoy the interview with Julie Murray. How are you, Julie Murray? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Julie. As you know, you're more than welcome to join us anytime. Uh, any topic that you want to discuss is on the table. Uh, one thing that I would like to um, put out there before we get into uh, any new searches or anything like that is uh, the new push for funding and the new GoFundMe campaign that you recently took over. Uh, I think it was I think it was last week or, or a couple of weeks ago. Do you want to talk about that uh, for a little bit? We decided that we wanted to get some of the samples that we previously obtained from the searches um, done over the last couple of years. Um, most people know that we did conduct several searches uh, with uh, trained professionals. We had uh, GB Geotechnics on there um, doing the ground penetrator radar. Um, we also had cadaver dogs at multiple locations. Um, so we, we really obtained a lot of good um, samples. The second part to that was we had never tested them. Um, so now we want to move into that phase two of actually testing those samples in a, in a lab setting um, to see if we can pull any DNA off any of those samples. Um, so I'm really excited about it. Um, we, we had another round of searches this past fall where we just added to some of those samples um, and we're hoping that we can either rule those out um, or, you know, come up with something that might help us find Mara. Julie, you mentioned samples. What, uh, what kind of samples are going to be tested? That's a good question. So on the previous searches, we, we've got all kinds of samples. We've got soil samples from particular areas of interest. We have concrete samples, uh, fabric samples, wood samples, pretty much anything that we thought would would be valuable, we, we got samples of. Um, and those samples have, we've held those uh, in the condition that we obtained them in. And now we're just, like I said, we're going to phase two and actually testing those. And these were samples that were uh, discovered or these these were samples that were collected over the course of a couple of years, correct? Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, so the main the main objective of phase one and the, the first GoFundMe was to check out some of these areas of interest, some of which the community knows about, um, and you've had uh, you've reported on those areas. Some of which I I'm not able to talk about because there are people that uh, don't want their um, information out there online, and as you know, this case. <laughs> 
it, uh, it's an interesting case. And once people get a hold of something, they, they could start harassing uh, different folks who are just trying to help. Um, and we want to do everything that we can to protect those people. Um, and they've been so kind and generous to even let us search their properties to begin with. The last thing I want to do or my family wants to do is to cause them any additional um, stress or, um, you know, post their information online where people can then have a field day about, you know, speculating about who knows what. Yeah, absolutely. And in addition to respecting their privacy and the, you know, the condition of their property, these people don't want all anybody up there, uh, we don't know how many locations were searched. Only uh, you and a, and a select few know the locations or location that was searched. But we want to just keep uh, emphasizing and, and reemphasizing that this is for the, the privacy of the people there. Their community is tight-knit. They, they appreciate the fact that they are in a, in a remote location and they don't have uh, dark tourism going on. But additionally to that... This is anywhere you've searched is now, I guess, an unofficial crime scene, possibly. And if you actually want to contribute to uh, finding some some answers here, you have to know, like, if you go to a scene like this, if if some sort of search is being kept preserved, don't go there and, and disrupt it. Uh, this is a, I feel like it's a really delicate time in the whole uh, search. Uh, process over the past 16 years, I feel like this might be one of the most delicate times. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Um, and you're right. Some of the the information that we've learned and some of the samples that we've obtained over the last two years are the most hopeful samples or the most hopeful um, chances that we've had. So um, I've said it before. It's like it's kind of like an emotional roller coaster when you and you try to keep an even even keel and keep your emotions kind of steady. Um, but when you do get some kind of samples and some kind of hope, you you try not to get too high or too low. Um, and that's you know from my family standpoint. But also some of the areas that we searched have also have families who have children, and um, we want to make sure that we're protecting those children and the family and the property. Um, but yeah, we're, we're definitely really hopeful. Great. And, uh, I imagine, um, the first thing you want to do is share it with the public when, uh, you know that you have something, um, positive. Yeah. I want to scream it from the rooftop. <laughs> I want to go up there and I want to, I, <laughs> I, yeah, I am so excited and I know that, for me, for me as a family member, it's one thing, and I'm so emotionally and attached to this case, but the community has become emotionally attached as well. And just look at the GoFundMe account that, that we started. In three days, the community stepped up in a big way and contributed over our initial goal of $5,000. And I owe it, and my family owes it to those people to let them know, hey, this is, this is what we found or this is what we didn't find, or this is what we ruled out. Um, and it's definitely a community effort, and I understand that. And it's really hard for me not to scream it from the rooftops, what I know right now, but I, I can't because that's that's um, irresponsible of me to do that at this time. But, you know, rest assured, once I'm able to to announce what I know or don't know or what we've ruled out, I am, I'm very excited to do that. So there is a new push for funds. This will be going towards testing. It will be going towards future searches. You took the reins on this one. Uh, we had done the original one with Maggie, and you took the reins on this one. Why Why did you make that decision to start it uh, with your name directly attached to the GoFundMe? Well, there was two reasons, really. The, the search that we recently did, searches that we recently did this past fall, as you know, I, I was contacting you guys directly saying, hey, we, I estimate we need this much to do to do this search, and you'd, you'd give me that much. And I'd say, oh, wait a minute, we screwed up, we need more. And it was kind of this back and forth, back and forth, and I, I really felt like I was annoying everyone, and I felt like, <laughs> <No>. yeah, <laughs> I felt like it might have, it might be better just 
for me to have direct access to it so I don't have to um, do all that back and forth. And then there was transfer limits and, and things like that, some administrative things that could potentially uh, cause a delay in obtaining the funds. Um, but I do, I just want to say that the previous efforts um, led by you, you guys and Maggie, I mean, those funds got us the samples that we have now to test. So I can't thank you and the community enough for stepping up and, and creating that. Uh, but going forward, I think it's just for logistics reasons, I think it's easier for just me to have direct access to it yeah uh i'll i'll say that the word uh annoyed was not even in the realm of words that i personally would choose when you're <laughs> asking for money uh, it was a huge huge relief to uh see that money was needed uh directly needed by you because that was yeah. that that it was it was f- like finally some there's some movement we didn't really need to know the details and personally I, I was ready to drive money directly up to you if you needed it just to make it a little <laughs> bit more um, a little bit more expeditious uh, and you're right it just makes a lot more sense for you to have the access when you need it and if you have to estimate a certain amount that you need you can just simply go to an ATM or you can, you know, uh, do a, do a, a wire transfer to your own account or something. Just, uh, I think like you said, the, uh, the logistics behind you having it personally attached is, it makes much more sense. Yeah. And just one more thing on that. Also, um, the reason why, I mean, Maggie asked me if, if I wanted to have direct access to the funds back when we did the first one and I was, I was against it because I never wanted to, I didn't like the optics of the family having these funds raised by the community. And then, you know, people might say that we were using it not as we should, but then I thought about it. I'm like, that's crazy. (laughs) Like I'm using it to find my sister. So I'm not, I'm not using it for, for any other purpose. And I want to make sure everyone knows that. And I, I, make sure to keep every single receipt down to, you know, the penny. Um, yeah. So we're definitely not using the, these funds for any other reason other than to find more. And my family and I have come out of pocket hundreds, thousands. Uh, already. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I'm not, we're not, this is not for profit for me. This is to find more. Yeah. And yeah. I, I'll, I'll also say that it's uh it's not uh, crazy of you to think that people would think that the money would be used in a, in a way that is not uh, conducive to the case. Mm-hmm. People will think that no matter what. So it's uh it, it's just the part of the fundraising efforts that unfortunately comes along with it, but you're keeping the receipts and, and things are getting done and samples are being mailed out. So, uh, the people who have donated to the first campaign and donated to the second campaign, awesome that's 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 money well spent yeah yeah exactly it's it's for your family to spend in you know in ser- searching for more in whatever way you think is the right way so that's really um i think the spirit of why it was started in the first place and uh there is a link in the show notes you can donate to this gofundme or you can search find more murray on gofundme.com to donate yourself I have a question, Julie, about anything else the community can do aside from donations. If you have anything uh, specific or maybe some sort of general uh, effort that people can make in addition to or or instead of making uh, financial donations to help. Yeah, I mean, listen, Mars been missing for 16 years. And there's not many cases that are as widely known as Mar Murray. Uh, for this long. Um, 16 years is a long time. And I have to thank the community for keeping her story alive. And every chance I get, I I try to do that. What I tell people who may not have the financial means to donate um, is to continue to talk about Mara. Keep keep talking. Keep asking the hard questions. Keep pounding away at um, small details because that's what's going to break this case. And so you've heard me say it at CrimeCon, and I I sound like a broken record, but I understand that most missing person cases die away and are lost in the, you know, in terms of 
being in the public view, and Mars has not. And so it's definitely the community that's kept it alive. It's you guys. It's the Oxygen Show. It's different podcasts. Um, and we just have to keep it going. Yeah, totally agree. And uh, one great showing of the community is uh, when everyone comes together for the anniversary. Um, and uh, do do you and your family have any plans for uh, for the anniversary? Yes. So, like I said, February 9th, 2000, uh, 2020 now um, marks the 16th anniversary. And I think it was a couple years ago we started a candle lighting um, vigil. I think I, I started that with you guys, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so it's just a way for people who may not be in the area, people who um, want to participate but can't get up there. Um, it's kind of an odd time to go up there in February. Um, so at 7.30 p.m. on February 9th, 2020, we asked the folks uh, in the community to light a candle and then take a picture or a video and then share it to uh, the Facebook page, the private group or the public group, and we'll post that as soon as we can. Um, and it's just a great way to what I like to call keep the sky lit up tomorrow. Um, for people that are in the area, we're going to have a little gathering at the Happy Hour restaurant that's in Wells River, Um I believe the address is 42 Main Street, but that is in Vermont, so it's right over the, the bridge there. Um, so from 3 to 6, I'll be there. My dad will be there. Curtis will be there. Other members of my family will be there. Please come. If you're in the area, please stop by. Um, introduce yourself. Ask me whatever questions you have. I'd love to meet you in person. Um, and then from there, we're going to go over to the Ribbon Tree at about 7.15, um, and we'll do a little vigil there, and then that'll be it. Um, I do want to give a big thanks to the Happy Hour Restaurant. They've always stepped up and supported us over the 16 years. They've had a lot of different characters come in and out of there to include, to include my dad. Um, they love my dad, and he loves them, so I talked to the owner, Tim, um, and he's very gracious and and making that space available for us. That's amazing. These are examples of how the community and how people can do something aside from financial donations. Uh, a simple gesture of three hours on a random night of the week in the middle of the winter is huge for, for something like this. And I hear they have great food at the Happy Hour uh, restaurant, too. So go check it out if you're uh, in the Wells River area of Vermont. Julie, recently you uh, discussed a, a theory on the 107 Degrees podcast about a speeding ticket that Mora may have been trying to clear up uh, by going to New Hampshire. Uh, is there anything that you want to uh, elaborate on here or maybe refresh people, uh, their memory on about the, about this particular speeding ticket? Yeah. I mean, first thing I want to say about theories in general is we don't know what happened to Mora. So this is just a theory. Uh, I'm not married to any particular theory or any one theory. Um, there was some chatter online that I'm pushing a theory or certain people are pushing a theory. You really can't push a theory until you know what happened tomorrow or until we find Mara. So Aaron Larkin of 107 Degree Podcast um, did several different FOIA uh, right-to-know requests um, with the state of New Hampshire and after many, many times and tries and being persistent, she was able to get a copy of a speeding ticket that Mara received the summer before she went missing, so in July. Um, and the speeding ticket was issued in Hookset, New Hampshire, which is kind of kind of in the middle of Boston and Lincoln. And you guys correct me if I'm wrong because you guys are there. Yeah, it's southern New Hampshire. It's a little north of Manchester, but it's um, off 93. So 
would be, yeah, we presume Mora went up 91 to the White Mountains. Um, but, uh, but this is on the other side. I don't know exactly how many miles, but it's uh, one of the other major interstates going north. Right. Okay. So, so basically, when I, I met with Chuck West, and he asked me about the speeding ticket, and I had no idea. I was totally blindsided because I had no idea that she got a speeding ticket um, in July, the summer before. So I asked my dad, I'm like, Dad, do you remember this being ticket? And he, he's totally focused on where's Mara, 100%, 24-7. And he vaguely remembered maybe paying a speeding ticket, but it, it was kind of cloudy to him. Um, so when Aaron was able to get the actual documentation, um, and then when Chuck West um, from the cold case unit asked me about it, we were kind of able to put some pieces together um, and we learned that she paid the speeding ticket, uh, but sh- but in New Hampshire, her license had to be reinstated even after the payment of the ticket. So oh, God. she would have to go yeah. in person to pay a reinstatement fee. In person, huh? Yeah. Yeah, in Concord. So we wow. think that sh- in the previous accident on a Saturday night in my dad's new car, when she was talking to the officer there, the officer may have brought it up when he ran her, her license and said, hey, do you know you have, your license is suspended in New Hampshire. Okay, so, so that that's... I a, mean, that's this a, is just a theory, so yeah. we, I don't know, but it's possible. Yeah, that's a reasonable theory, um, and I apologize if this information's already out there. Is there, I know, I know that there are some states that don't have access to other states' records when they're when they're looking somebody up, especially when it's a uh, when they pull somebody over and they're running their license. Like Massachusetts can only look at Massachusetts uh, driving records, for example. Maybe I don't know. I'm just saying. It, was that is that the case here? Like, is was it a universal uh, check on her license? Do you know? Well, we know that New Hampshire and Massachusetts have reciprocity, so I'm assuming, and and this is just my assumption that. Um, the officer could have seen um, other states or New Hampshire's status of her license when he ran ran it in Massachusetts. Gotcha. Okay, so that is uh, that is a a very workable theory, and knowing that someone would have to go up there in person. And you're right; it is about halfway between Boston and like if you were to travel to Lincoln or or that that area. What's uh, what's come of that since the episode has been aired? Has anybody provided any further information on that? Well, let me let me just take it back a step. So, okay. like I said, I wasn't aware that she had the speeding ticket, and my dad was kind of cloudy, so we weren't really sure why she would why she got the speeding ticket to begin with. So I happened to go home um, to Hanson, and my dad has this whole locker full of all of Mars stuff. And in there, there is this box of letters, like I'm talking hundreds of letters. And they're all from from Bill, her boyfriend at the time. And so I'm like, you know what? There might be some information in these letters that I could use. So I took them back with me to Richmond, um, and I slowly started to go through them. Um, And I found found two um, that referenced Bill being up in New Hampshire that July with Mara and my dad. Um, And so it was July 27th, I believe, and then another one on August 3rd. So I have it in writing with the dates on it, you know, saying that Bill was up there. And so now we know why Mara was up there in July and um, 2003. So I sent all that information to Chuck um, so that he would have it and, because he wasn't sure why she was up there either. And then I mentioned it to my dad, and he's like, oh, yeah, we, we were up there. We climbed so-and-so, and Bill was there. And, yeah, so they kind of – it was a long process to figure all that out and piece all that together, but it finally came together. Um, but in terms of has anything else happened since then, what happened was I told Chuck West um, before Erin put it out in her podcast, um, and I think it was just something that Chuck was able to, I'm not going to say cross off the list, but maybe potentially he could because he knew why she was up there. I see. And the theory is that she received the speeding ticket en route to that trip with uh, with your father and with Bill. Well, 
we think that she was driving from from the Lincoln North Conway Bartlett area to Boston Logan to drop Bill off on his for his flight, and then she had the next week off. So then she was going back up to New Hampshire to spend the the next week with my dad in New Hampshire. So it sounds like Bill was there for that weekend. Mark was driving to Boston early, early on a Sunday morning, dropped him off, and then turned around and was speeding like crazy <laughs> on the way back up to New Hampshire. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And so she took 93 south uh, to go drop Bill off at Logan, and then she turned around and headed back up 93 towards the White Mountains. And uh, so Hooksit is, uh, again, it's southern uh, New Hampshire near near Concord or Manchester, so it's at least an hour probably from um, the White Mountains. Mm-hmm. Yep. But yeah, so that makes sense that it's in route. And this was in the Saturn that she that she received the speeding ticket. No, it was wow. it was in my dad's Corolla, the new Corolla. Gotcha. Yep. And that was also odd when Chuck said, "Do you you know?" He asked me, "Do you know why she would have been in your dad's car?" I was like, "No, I have no idea." But now that you can kind of take a step back and put all the pieces together. She was like, hey, Dad, I got to go to the airport. I'm going to take your Corolla and I'm going to be right back. Yeah. Um, and then in Bill's letter, he said, hey, is something he referenced, hey, I know you've been up there for another week. And she would have been off in that, that summer anyway from from UMass. So it, it makes sense. Um, but in terms of is that 100% the reason why she was heading to New Hampshire on February 9th, 2004, I don't know. I would say it's probably 98%. Yeah, it's it's possible. Because, yeah. you know, like I said I said before, nobody knows why she, she went up there and she didn't tell anybody. So all of this is speculation. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I don't know. I feel like maybe she would have mentioned it, though, if it was something like that, you know? Well, and that's what I said to Aaron. I was like, she maybe she wouldn't have mentioned it because she shouldn't have been driving the Saturn anywhere. Mm. Yeah, and especially she should not have been driving the Saturn two hours north to New Hampshire. Yeah, at the very least, I think it's interesting to think about anything that she did prior to the accident that shows her as being a human being. I think that it's important for us to continually come back to that before this becomes a folktale. Yeah, I agree, um, and this is where I differ from my dad. Um, so my dad doesn't think, and not only my dad, there's other people that don't think anything that she did prior to the February 9th matters. Um, I disagree with that. I, I think there are factors, there are circumstances that put her in a state of mind to, to make a dumb decision, which she did. It was a dumb decision to do what she did. Um, so I, I, I agree with you in that. We do need to look at what she did leading up to February 9th. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting point um, and uh, and consideration now, yeah. Speaking of Bill, uh, I know he was kind of uh, the subject of uh, an episode of ours um, a little while ago. Um, what uh, what were your thoughts on, uh, on that information? Well, my thoughts on Bill have never changed. Uh, I've known Bill 20-plus years. Um, I, I did not like Bill... Um, for some decisions he made as a young man when he was with Mara. Um, do I think Bill harmed Mara? No. So in terms of the latest, um, I don't even know what to call them, allegations? Are the allegations? I think it's safe the to latest, say allegations. Yeah, the latest allegations would be a fair and the mistress. I'm not. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a judge. I don't know. I'm going to let the lawyers and judges and professionals handle that. Um, is it disturbing? Yes, of course it's disturbing. Um, but do I think it has anything to do with um, Mara being harmed on February 9th? No, because we know that Bill was at Fort Sill. Um, and there is some discussion that maybe Bill wasn't at Fort Sill. Well, I can tell you for he was at Fort Hill uh, because that's just how the Army works. Um, you, you can't just, as a lieutenant in the Army, you can't just leave. I know that because when I got the call that Mara was missing, 
I couldn't just leave. And I was also a lieutenant in the Army. Right. So so someone in that position could, you know, even if they were in a position of rank, I guess, they, they can't just uh, take off um, whenever they want um, if, if something like that happened. Yeah. No, there's no, there's no special privileges. And in fact, that's, what's great about the army is there's regulations and there's policy and there's standards and, and those have to be followed. Otherwise, why do you, why the hell do you have them? Um, so I feel very confident that Bill was at Fort Sill on February 9th. I mean, you can look at his phone records and he got a flight. Um, there's every, everything that we know points to him being at Fort Sill. But then again, I, I hear and see banter online about Bill's cleared and the family cleared him. Nobody is cleared until Mara is found, until we know what happened to Mara. I, I challenge people to look at everybody. Look at me. Look at, look at my dad. Look at, look at anyone. Yeah, it also puts a very unnecessary and unfair pressure on, on you and your family when there are people saying that you have officially done anything when you haven't like officially like you don't have, you're not law enforcement. You can't clear somebody, you know, but it's uh, it's, it's gotta be tough to look at those comments and, and want things to be over. But at the same time, you can't like definitively say anything. Right. And, and at the same time, my opinion doesn't matter. Yeah. I mean, we could, probably respectfully did i i think your opinion matters a lot just in general i feel like uh things that you say i feel like people um i think it it goes a long way i think it resonates when people hear your voice um but you know what i get what you're saying you're saying whatever you say really doesn't matter to the to to the facts if it's if it's uh like far-flung speculation well to the to the to the goal here and the yeah. goal here is to find mara so us talking about some mistress and some affair that Bill had in 2014, whenever it was, that that that's extraneous to the goal of finding Mara. Yeah. Unless unless we think that Bill did did harmed Mara, in which case I would think that the cold case unit and the law enforcement would would also see that and in their official capacity, do whatever they need to do against somebody who they think is a suspect. It's not for for me to do, and it's not for the online community to do. It's for law enforcement to do, the judges and the lawyers. Yeah, exactly. And every day we learn something personally. Tim and I learn something by doing this show. Every day we, we figure out what we need to do and what we don't need to do. Sometimes we might overstep certain uh, lines that are were blurry at the time, um, you know, thinking that something was being done and being pushed in the right direction. Uh, but, you know, I guess ultimately you just sort of do what you think is best at the time. And, uh, I mean... It's not. It's not so much like a, um, like an uh, like an apology for for making mistakes, but it's like sort of like a bear with us type thing. Uh, we don't mean to allow people to connect dots that we weren't thinking they would connect. I don't know if that made any sense. Yeah, I, I mean, I I get where you, where you're going with that. Yeah, I mean, I think I think, but by all accounts, you know, we, his alibi is, is rock solid, and I, I think we we did say that when we uh, spoke about him. But um, yeah, I, and I and I agree, an affair is not um, is not reason to uh, to bring Bill's name up at all. Um, it was it was more his name in the court documents, specifically why we um, you know thought it was okay to talk about. Yeah, and and. I just have to say it, but that that's the true definition of an affair. What Mara had as a 21-year-old, which has been pushed as an affair, she was not married. It was not an affair. That is not the correct usage of affair. A 21-year-old girl having relations with other people in an unmarried status. It's not what she uh, no, it I wasn't an yeah. Oh my god. I've, <laughs> I I've said that so many times like I can't I can't tell you how many times we see words like that and and you feel like you're, you know, getting really uh hair splitty with it and and focusing on semantics, but it goes a long way when someone sees the word affair as opposed to a relationship. 
or you know and you see a fair and all of a sudden you you've created this image of of a person that is not deserving um you know it's the same with people saying mora was drunk when she was driving that night there's no indication that she was drunk there was an indication that there was drinking but there was no indication that she was drunk and and there's no indication that she she was even uh, like definitely drinking you know i mm-hmm. i feel like uh i feel like a lot of those uh semantics are downplayed and it's just like oh well i misspoke you know um and also i feel super guilty even saying that i'm frustrated with certain things while talking to you i can't <laughs> imagine how frustrated you must be yeah i know i i mean it's it, it's i've i've gotten used to it i've i've gotten good at brushing stuff off and recently i've gotten better at it and i sometimes i catch myself trying to please everybody and trying to harmonize the online community how could i ever harmonize the online community that is just that cannot happen in me trying to do that and trying to please everyone number one i you know i lose stability uh number two um it's an impossible task. And number three, it detracts from finding more. And other people can be distracted and they can focus on these, this white noise, but I can't be. I, I, need to, I need to really get better at focusing on finding more and, and doing these things behind the scenes and doing this testing that we're doing and, and things like that. And, you know, my dad is in his late 70s. I don't have the luxury of time to focus on what the online community wants me to do because I'm never going to please them. Yeah. You actually said something to us a a couple of weeks ago about uh, not blowing like a tumbleweed with the direction that a certain, you know, wind is going based on the the topic of the, of the moment in the uh, online community where you just have to stay your ground and, and keep your course and not blow from side to side. One, that was a great analogy, and I think what you just said there is a a wonderful definition of that, which is you have to stay focused, and and you can't have those distractions because it's not doing you any good. It takes you off your focus. Right, Um, and I I hate to say it, but every day I, I feel like I'm getting more and more like my dad, getting unapologetic and just, you know, just, not having time for any of the extraneous stuff. Um, and, but I have to be that way. And I don't want, I, I, I want to make everyone happy. I, I really want that, but I want to find more and more. So I've got to be that person that makes the hard decisions. I've got to be the person that takes the blame. It's on my shoulders. I'm not going to get everything right. I, I haven't so far and I'm going to make mistakes and I'm going to make the wrong decisions, but as long as I'm doing it with my focus and my azimuth pointed towards finding more and doing everything I can within my power to make that happen soon for my dad uh, is what I have to do. Yeah. Well, well put. And you're making more correct decisions than you are incorrect decisions. So um, for whatever that's worth. Yeah, Julie, I think you're doing a great job. So just want to let you know uh, that that's how we feel. So. It's not easy. You guys know yeah. it. It is oh, not yeah. easy. It yeah. is not easy. And there's no there's no guide for this. Like the things that I have to do and, and Curtis and I and Kathleen and Freddie, we've gotta make decisions that other people can't even imagine yeah. having to, to to make those decisions, but Yeah. Yeah, and and people literally no one has been in the same situations that you have been in, so that yeah. Well, you uh, mentioned Kathleen and Fred Jr. and Curtis. How how are those guys doing? How are they holding up? We're all just plugging. We're all just we're plugging. I mean, 16 years is a long time. But actually, we've throughout the 16 years, we've always had something going. We've always had some sort of hope. I mean, there's been ups and downs where there's been periods where we're like, okay, what next? But we've always found something next thanks to my dad mostly leading the charge on that but that's what keeps us going is focusing on what what's next because we can't focus on oh, you know a poor me let's have a pity party 
that's not that's not going to help us find more. And it, like I said, it's not about us. Um, but we support each other. We, we we battle each other. Curtis and I battle head to head, and we disagree on a lot of things. But at the end of the day, we want what's best for Mora, and we want to do what's best to find her. And so we use that as yeah. our guide. You uh, have often said, this is, I think, my last question or my last point. Um, you you say uh, someone knows something. Uh, what's your thought process behind that? And I don't know if you can even answer that. Uh, I, I'm just, I, I get inspired when, when you say that about this, and it makes me believe that somebody does know something. Is there a scenario you've ever imagined where somebody has, has said something or, or would be able to uh, be... Uh, convinced into talking? Yes, all the time. I, so I truly, truly, with every fiber in my being, think that there's somebody out there on this, on this planet that knows maybe not exactly what happened, but they know a piece. And then I think there's another person that knows another piece. And so when I say, what can the community do? That is, continue to talk about Mara. She's not going anywhere. I'm not letting her go anywhere. My family's not letting it go anywhere. You guys aren't letting it go anywhere. It's to get those people with those small little pieces that they think may not be important to come forward and, and tell law enforcement, tell us, so that we can piece that together. Because I just can't, I just can't understand how Mara could have went missing with not a single person knowing anything. I agree that somebody does know something and we just got to get to that person, those people or test those samples and, and figure it out. Yeah. Something out there. It's my hope. I'm, I'm hopeful. I don't know how I'm hopeful. It's been 16 years and we've had nothing. We haven't found a single thing, but I'm hopeful. And it's because of, the community and you guys and the support that we get is incredible. Um, and I think one of these days someone's going to offer up that piece and we're going to be able to put this puzzle together. There's no such thing as a perfect crime. There's only, uh, there's, there's only apathy, right? So anyone can commit a crime. It's only in a, the, a period of time that goes by before that becomes uh, approached with some level of apathy. I don't think that that's happening here whatsoever. And I think if people continue to talk about Mora, like you're saying, uh, talk about talk about her, talk about the family searches, talk about the independent searches, talk about in, uh, samples that are that were collected that are being sent to be tested. If anybody overhears something, if if anyone's up in the area and the perpetrator or perpetrators are are up in the area and they happen to overhear a conversation about listening to an interview with you or seeing a post from you that you that you put out there about samples being tested, you know, talk louder about that. You never know who's who's uh, listening. You never know who's overhearing your conversation, and that these people might get nervous. These people might think, hey. You know, my my friend told me something about this or told me that they knew somebody who 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 might know something about this. And, and now they're testing samples and maybe they want to get ahead of the you know, get ahead of it and 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 talk to the law enforcement up there and say, I overheard this conversation. And I know there are samples that are being tested if it comes back positive for this. You know, I mean, it's it's like you're not just talking about the case in in a in a vacuum or in like an arbitrary way talk about it so people overhear it and uh, you never really know where information can come from um there's there's a lot of people out there who have uh looked into this case for years and they may have a a, a puzzle piece that uh that we don't know of at this point so one of the things i want to talk about is the the small army that i have of people that have no social media presence zero these people most of them their name has never been out there in the public, but they have helped my family so much and they don't want anything for it. And these are the purest of the pure. These are the salt of the earth people that are doing this with the goal of just trying to find more, no publicity. They don't need content. They're not doing it for profit. They're not trying to be relevant. They're trying to find more. Um, and 
there are also people that do have a social media presence, and we need a good mix of the of both of those. Um, but what what we don't want is to have all of these battling egos that kind of hoard information. Because what what is that doing? What is the purpose of hoarding information? I mean, if you've been on the case since day one, and you have information that you haven't shared with the family or or the cold case unit or someone, that's a problem. Um, and it just kind of highlights what you're in it for. And so we have a couple personalities involved in this case that aren't forthcoming with their information. And, and it seems that they're only doing that so that when the time comes or, you know, when the information is needed, that their name gets out there in, in the limelight. And that's not helpful. And I wish you guys know my wish. My wish is that we could all get along and be one happy family. <laughs> um, yes. But I get it. I mean, that's a stretch. Um, but if if we had information or if we have information, we got to share it. We, we can't just hoard it. We can't just put it in piles just for your own use. How is it helping Mara? Yeah, you're right. It's not. And don't don't hold information for ransom. Right. Don't. Don't say I have this, and it's not a, uh, it's not a uh, like a give and tear quid pro quo. It's nothing like that. If you have information, for God's sake, like deliver it to the appropriate channels. Mm-hmm. So, Julie, recently there was a situation that arose um, with a moderator from um, the Facebook group, and um, I, without getting into too many details, I just wanted to uh, to ask. Um, what what you guys, what you you and you as a family, um, we're doing with with that information. Right. So we we have we have multiple people helping us. Um, some in the public limelight, some not, as I just described. So we we had a void um, after Helena passed away. Helena ran the Facebook pages, uh, and she kind of um, was the captain of or the conduit between the investigation, my dad, who has no social media presence, and the online community. So she started all of that. Um, and we're very thankful that, that she did. Um, the case would not be where it was without Helena. Uh, and um, I'm sure you've heard my dad talk about how much he appreciates Helena and misses her. Um, but at the time when, after she passed away, or even before, um, Scott was helping Helena with uh, some of the back-end stuff with the Facebook page. And before Facebook, I think we even had like a MySpace. I think MySpace was, was in back then, um, but also topics and things like that. So Scott would help Helena with that. Um, and that was before I kind of stepped into my role as a more public role. Um, and so there were some allegations that Scott was involved with uh, that kind of, um, came up recently and they were disturbing, but at the same time, I didn't really know what to do. So we kind of had a family or a family meeting, I guess you could say virtual meeting to try to figure out how do we, how do we handle situations like this? How do we determine who's qualified to help and who isn't? Um, And I will tell you that it, it was very difficult and it it still is um, because it's a fine line to, to see, do we have to do background checks on people who want to help find Mara? I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't want to have to do that. Um, if people want to volunteer their time um, and, and try to help and are helping, then we welcome, like I said, we welcome that help. It's been hard for me to publicly address this um, because it is a hard situation. And you know, Scott helps with moderate the, the Facebook group. So a lot of times we get, Curtis and I get a, a bunch of just really crazy people sending in really crazy stuff. And so Scott mostly helps with that. And he also helps with a lot of the picture stuff and um, computer stuff that I'm not too savvy with. Well, I think all you can do is, is do your best in that situation. That's, you know... Uh... Also, a, a situation that people don't um, come across 
very often. Like I, I get your point. You're, you're not, you're not going to want to run a background check on everyone who wants to help. You're talking hundreds of people. Right. Um, and so that, that was what our decision was. And some people were concerned about tips going to unsavory people. Uh, but tips actually aren't going there and, and we push for tips and we've gotten many very um, significant tips into the, the family um, email account. And that's um, family direct at gmail.com. That's been our most significant source of act- actionable tips. Um, so if people are worried about that or the people, the people focused on this, this Scott thing that has nothing to do with Mara. Do I think Scott harms Mara? No. Um, people focused on that um, maybe need to readjust their azimuth, kind of like I have to do in difficult situations where you have to ask yourself, is he helping or is it a distraction? Yes, it is a distraction. Um, but at the end of the day, he's helped my family with stuff behind the scenes that I too too many times to name um, and has given up his own personal time and money, tons of money um, to help find Mara. Yeah. And like you said before, there's no guidebook to all of this and the, uh, the charges or allegations, whatever we have to call them were, they're so out of left field. Like no one could have predicted anything like that would happen. And just how one deals with processing that and how to move forward again no guidebook on that you just do the best you can in the situation right another person i i want to talk about is erin larkin um she's become the target of much um internet uh anger lately i guess you could say um but here's how i feel about erin i i respect erin uh and erin has put in hundreds and hundreds of hours um, into behind the scenes stuff as well as, you know, on her podcast and online um, to try to, to help find Mara. Do I think she has any ill intentions whatsoever? Not a chance. Um, I respect her work. I think she's been, she has been treated unfairly. Um, and it seems when she does stand up and, and try to correct the record, she's attacked. Um, and like I said, that's unfair. Uh, and I have to say it that I think you guys contributed a little bit to, to that. Um, and I know Aaron and I know how hard she works and I know how much she cares about Mara and my family. Um, that I, I want, I don't want to just attack people that, that disagree with you or have a difference of opinion. Uh, and I want to say that to everyone in the community. Um, you should, if you disagree with someone, you should listen to what they have to say um, and read what what supports their um, their train of thought. Absolutely. I completely I think agree. That, I, I think that uh, a lot of lasting relationships, a lot of quality working relationships in any situation have disagreements. They have mistakes. They have stumbles. But it's how you recover from them. And uh, we have talked to Aaron uh, separately, not online. And it's just a matter of figuring out where our balance is with her. Uh, and, and we're coming along. And I, I uh, appreciate the, the criticism of us contributing to that. And, you know, just personally speaking, maybe there was emotional stuff that uh, was, was said at the time, just, you know, without taking a step back and taking some time to think about it. Uh, and that is something that will be, you know, not done in the future and <laughs> hopefully corrected, <laughs> uh, not in the public eye, uh, which is mm-hmm. just something that has to be uh, over and over reinforced that, arguments and disagreements don't have to be done on the uh, platform of Twitter where a million other people can uh, be the spectators and there's no winners or losers with, with something like that. Well, I, I have one more thing. It's kind of more of a positive spin. <laughs> okay. um, and you can plug it in wherever you want, but I'm going to talk about it. It's never been made public before, but I don't want to keep just, hitting people over the head with the same crap. So this, this part that I'm about to talk about is um, nobody knows about it. So I'm about to share it. 
You ready for it? I'm on yeah. the edge of my seat. <laughs> it's not like it's not earth shattering. It's just kind of like a, I don't know. It's a, more of an emotional thing. Okay. Um, okay. So one of the meetings I had with Chuck West, uh, we talked, we talked about a bunch of different things. Um, and I've said before that some of the things that, that we discussed, I can't make public. Um, but I am privy to some information that the public doesn't know. Um, and I had a specific question in one of these meetings with, uh, with Chuck. I wanted to know what Mara was listening to when the crash occurred. And so Mara had an external CD player. And in that CD player was this band that I hate to say it, that I didn't know about before, uh, called the New Radicals. Have you guys heard of the New Radicals? Great band. Yes. You have? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they had that, that one big song, yeah. Yeah, I guess I'm I'm in the minority here. But anyway, I wanted to get a, kind of a, a feel for what her frame of mind was while she's driving down. Because, you know, I, I don't have much left. Um, and so I, I felt like, for me, I wanted to, to get in her mind, her, her mind and see where she was while she's driving down 112. And she's listening to this new radical song called um, Get What You Give. And so I've known about this for quite some time. I haven't ever shared it um, because it is something personal. Uh, and there's not much that, like I said, that I have left that is personal that, that I can have or that my family can have and the public can't tear apart. Um, but if you listen to this song, it's really upbeat. It's kind of just like a carefree, just like happy song. And it brings me to tears every time I listen to it. Um, and I, I just wanted to share that with everyone because it kind of puts you in the car with Mark. And um, it's, it's really special to me, but I think that the community should know that.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.